Welcome to the Mac PFD Spark Podcast. This podcast is meant to inspire you to take the next step in your development journey as a faculty member. We're really excited to bring you excellent and interesting content, from inspiring you to teach or supervise more effectively, to leading and managing your own team, to thinking about creative or humanistic ways to do your work, and finally, to build up your skills in scholarly practice. We welcome you to sit back, listen, and enjoy the latest episode of the Mac PFD Spark Podcast. In collaboration with the team at Merit, McMaster's Education Research, Innovation, and Theory Program in the Faculty of Health Sciences, we bring you our Good Pie sub-series on good practices in education. Our Merit scientists and scholars share their education research expertise with us so we can enhance our own teaching practices. We've included an infographic with each episode to summarize the highlights of our discussion. Join us for a slice of good pie. In this episode, we hear from Dr. Laura Varpio talk about health professions education research. They discuss topics such as tips to succeed, how to advance in health professions research, and finding a personal connection to what you want to pursue. We hope you enjoy. I'm really looking forward today to talking with our final guest of the Good Pie subseries, Laura Varpio, who will be wrapping up our subseries on good practices in education. So welcome, Laura. Really great to have you here. Thanks, Ruth. It's really a pleasure for me to be here. And thanks for letting me be your your anchor leg on this. Yes, that's right. You are bookending the sixth and final episode of 2023, and John Troberneau was the first episode. So you both are the bookends. And so to start, some of the listeners may know you very well because of their own education research, or they've heard you in other talks. But would you provide a brief overview or an introduction to you and your role? Sure. Uh, So my name is Lara Varpio. I am a professor at the Department of Pediatrics at the Perlman School of Medicine at the University of Pennsylvania, and I'm co-director of research in medical education at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. I've been uh, a researcher working in the field of health professions education for just about 10-ish years now, and I'm uh, a qualitative investigator, and I tend to look at questions where we examine the way individuals shape and work and influence groups, and also how groups uh, as small as interprofessional teams or as big as medical education communities, how we influence on individuals. So I'm really interested in that interplay between the two. Thank you. So today, our focus for this episode will be on tips for doing health professions education research. And so I'm really looking forward to talking with you about the tips that you have for those that are interested in doing health professions education research and have not yet started, or those that are in health professions education and want to build more work or do more work in this area or build their expertise in health professions education research. So start us off with some of the tips that you have. Thanks, Ruth. Um, In preparation for our conversation today, we had a chance to sit down and talk about maybe five different tips for people. And I, I knew the first tip right away, because it is often the way I start my conversations with clinician educators 
who are interested in doing research or who've done something, but they want to try a new topic or something like that. And my first tip for scholars is that it's really important to start with a topic that means something to them personally, to them either in terms of their career development or in terms of an experience they might have had either in their undergraduate, graduate, or their continuing professional um, development work. And the reason I say that is that in many ways, health professions, education, research, and scholarship, it's not often work that we have dedicated time for in our day-to-day -day activities. And in a lot of clinicians especially find themselves doing this work a little bit on the side of their desk. It's a, it's a pet project. It's something they care about, but they may not have all the time they wish they would have to focus on it. And so in situations like that, you really have to love your topic. It has to mean something to you. Otherwise, it's hard to find time and make time to invest in that inquiry. So, uh, for example, one of the uh, one of the individuals I'm working with right now is um, is not a clinician. She's working as she's part of a larger organization uh, that works in the field of health professions ed. And she works a lot with people who have different kinds of leadership roles in the community. And she's really interested in understanding how the field of health professions education looks, depending on what kind of role you have, because it's really different if you're um, a senior leader, a dean of a school, versus someone who's responsible for, say, student affairs, or for someone who's a program director. The, the, the work that we do, the field itself, just looks different. So she's fascinated by the question, how can we all be part of the same space, but come at it in such different ways? So it means something to her. It has a passion. It speaks to her. For clinician educators, I often suggest if they're struggling to find a topic, start with something that either frustrated you, made you a little, uh, or start with something that was really successful. Any yeah. kind of memorable moment can give you a start. That's great. So even that first tip of starting with a topic that means something to you, it could also mean something to you within your particular context. So within your particular leadership role or within your particular teacher role, that's also part of what you're referring to when it mean, when you want to find something that means something to you. And Absolutely. And recommending that you base it on something that you may have experienced, a memorable moment, or something that has frustrated you, or something that you feel had gone well. For sure, exactly. Which then takes us to our my second tip. And this one, I really can't underscore enough, Ruth, how important for our community to, when you before you start any kind of inquiry, take a minute and see what's already been done. So the second tip, really, it's about doing your due diligence with respect to the literature. Our field is growing. It's, it's not that old. It's 50, 60 years old in terms of a, as a specified field, which means that although our body of literature started off small, it's been ballooning over the years. Mm. So it's so important to understand what inquiry has already been addressed, has already been started. What can you build on? And I want to also encourage listeners to know if you find out that there hasn't been a lot done or maybe nothing in your space, don't get discouraged. That's good news. It means there's a gap for you to address. Yes. 
exactly. might also mean that you have to look further afield though for the literature. So sometimes in health professions ed, you're going to look outside of PubMed. You're going to look outside of what you might consider some of your normal journal or database houses. You might have to go to bigger databases, Scopus, Web of Science, Psych Info, maybe even out to Eric. If you if you know Eric as a database, then you know tip of the hat to you. But yes, <laughs> find out the different literature, broaden your scope to make sure that there's not something that's tucked away in a different corner of the academic world that might be very relevant to you. I think this is a really important point because so much of what we do in the health professions education is that we're motivated to just get started, to do something, to work on something, to create, create, create. And what you're saying is that it's important to take that second step of looking first to see what has already been done in that field or to address that particular area of interest or question before then diving in and creating something yourself. For sure. And I think that this then, you know, takes us to our, our third piece, which is again, a next stepwise piece in this in moving forward is it's about the perhaps one of the most important pieces of your research work, of, of the design work that you're about to embark on when you're interested in starting research in health professions ed is the building of a question. There are so many factors and, and approaches that feed into that question. And once you design, decide on your question, then it starts to set you down a path for what kind of, what kind of inquiry you're going to do. Will it be qualitative, quantitative? and questions about what kind of data collection and analysis you'll engage in. So taking the time to build a question that works for you. And, and I'll just add on to this. When, it, when I say a question that works for you, what I mean by works for you, one of the things that's really important in health professions ed for a lot of clinician educators that I've worked with is making everything count twice. So mm -hmm. can you ask a question that enables you to build on something you're already working on? or a mandate that's on your desk that you have to address. So again, for instance, uh, I have, I work with, working with a clinician educator who happens to engage uh, part of their, the curriculum they do is having learners go to museums and have experiences in museums. And they use that for a moment to reflect on perceptions and perspectives, which then is actually a teaching point about bias. And so the question then is, Given that this person's already working on this museum intervention, how do we build a research question that enables them to build new knowledge while simultaneously also fulfilling a job they already have to do? So make the question really relevant to you. That's such a great point. I never thought about it out, like I never thought and discussed it overtly, but you're right, is that when we're working on our health professions, education, research questions, we want to develop a question that also takes into consideration our other goals and other, uh, what, what did you say? Make it count twice. So that's, yeah. that's a really good point in terms of how, uh, allowing for this work to be uh, fulfilling multiple goals. And I think that's one of the things that we don't tend to think about, you know, and 
for good or for ill, depending on your, your perspective on things, often our, we ask people to leave different parts of themselves behind when they take on different aspects of their role. So um, we might ask clinicians, for instance, to leave their personal life at the door when they walk into the hospital or, or those sorts of things. But when it comes to engaging in health professions education research, look at all the things that you do and ask yourself, can I make what I'm, this project count twice, once for my research and once to meet another mandate on my desk, mm-hmm. which then brings me, brings me to my fourth point, because um, health professions, education, research, and scholarship is never a solo activity. Mm. Mustering a team is a really great way of making sure what you're doing is fun. If, if the work is side of the desk activity, and if it's something that we want to do, but you know it's hard to make it to time for it, putting some friends on a team makes the meetings a whole lot better. It changes the whole tenor of the, of the, of the reason you're in that space. I often start all of my meetings, you know, some of my colleagues call it the Varpio's 15, because the first 15 minutes, I care more about what we're, how you doing? What's going on with <laughs> the kids? Nice. What you win? Who's your favorite Peloton instructor? Because I'd much rather talk about that and make sure that we're all doing well because the research is kind of the excuse to get together, right? So who do you need on your team? Find some friends. But do remember, they, they probably need to have some expertise, of course. So is there somebody who has methods expertise that, that you need to bring on board? Is there somebody with content expertise that might be a really valuable team member? And never forget, you know, we're a space with learners. Maybe there's a junior faculty member or maybe there's an undergraduate student or a resident who could really benefit from experiencing and being part of a robust and healthy and happy research team. So, yeah, build a team that you're looking forward to meeting with. I I love this point because you've really highlighted in your work as as well that the various teams that you've collaborated with and the different projects that you've been working on are all comprised of these different teams all across the world. And I imagine that you're having such rich experiences and unique experiences with each team that you work with. For sure. And remember, when we do research, we are inherently working on things we don't know the answers to. We don't know what we're going to find out. We don't know the answers. That's why it's called research. Mm-hmm. which then also means we're going to be in a room with collaborators. And I'm going to have to be really honest when we're doing data analysis and say to my team, I don't know what it means. I don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to figure this out. What do you think? And uh, that trust needs to be there for those kinds of conversations to work well. So a really strong team makes really strong research. Um, and for me, that involves personal relationships too. So we always start by talking. So then okay. this brings, brings me to my very last point. And it's about the last piece. Once you have something that means something to you, you know, what's been done, you've built a good question, you have a good team, you need a plan. And a good plan makes use of the time that's very active and the time that's less active. So for instance, what I mean by that is that um, you might need some small grant funding to pay for, for instance, transcription of interviews, say that's something you need. So you write the grant and then you send that off and then there's a waiting period. There's a whole period of time where you don't know if you have that money. 
but you don't have to just sit and wait. That's a great opportunity. Why don't we use this time while we're waiting to write up our IRB and get that moving forward? Once you submit your IRB, now you have to wait for that before you can start doing data collection. Hopefully you have some money coming in now, so you're going to have to move on that side. But it might also be that while you're waiting for the IRB to, to uh, move forward and, and to progress in the way you want, you might start writing up some of that literature review work that you have done already because of the previous tip. You know, putting together some of that literature review, what are the important things that we know already? Every project has ebbs and flows of work. Sometimes you're waiting. Sometimes you're waiting for IRB or whatever it is. Sometimes you're deep in data collection. Other times you're waiting for transcriptions to happen. But all of those times, if you're cognizant that they're coming, you can create a plan so that you can be productive. Even when, for instance, you're waiting for the transcripts to come back from the transcriptionist, there, there are things you can do to keep the project moving forward productively, even when it feels like you're kind of stuck. This is really helpful. And let me just do a quick recap of your five tips and also see if you have any personal examples or examples from learners or researchers or clinicians that you've worked with. Because I know that you are always training new researchers, training graduate students, and in that training and teaching and learning environment. So let me do a quick recap of the five tips and then uh, here's some examples from you. So the first tip is to start with a topic that means something to you. Second is to see what has already been done. Third, to build a question that factors in your specific circumstances. Fourth, muster a team. And then five, structure a plan. So then if I were to, to give you an example, Ruth, of uh, some situations or a situation where I've, I've worked with someone to bring all of these into, into fruition, one of, the, um, one of the easiest places for me to start is to start with a new PhD student that I've been having the opportunity to work with and mentor. Uh, her name is Erin Berry, and Erin's really interested in healthcare teams and how teams work, but she's interested in the leadership of those teams and one of the concepts that we've we've been talking about is the concept of followership because teams need leaders, but they also need followers. And there's a situation where this means a lot to her personally, this idea of healthy and responsible and agentic active following isn't a passive role in her mind. It's something important. So it means something to her. And when we went to look I, item two for something that's already been done. There was very little in the medical education research literature, but again, go a little further afield, open up the doors a little bit. We, we did find literature in the business literature and some of the engineering spaces. So there was something to build from, but we had to import that over into medical education. Uh, working with her to build a question was a lot of fun because when there's so little in the field, there's a lot of room to ask big, fat questions. So we decided to ask people for stories. Tell us your story of when you were in a team where a follower made a real difference. And to get those kinds of narratives, you get all kinds of insights about personal experiences. So we knew the question. Building the team was easy in many ways because she already had a supervisory team, right? Myself and Pim Tunison at... Um, at Maastricht, but we also asked some clinician educators that we had worked with 
to join in the team because they brought really important perspectives about being a leader and about being a follower. And finally, in terms of our plan, one of the greatest joys of working with um, with this particular person, with Erin, is that she is one of the most organized human beings I've ever met. And she just runs those meetings like clockwork and it's all set, but she's got this beautiful plan of how all the work will get done at this time in time to make submission for a grant competition or for a deadline for a special issue, uh, special edition of a journal. So with that in hand, suddenly this project, it's not hard. We get to meet regularly. We have some fun. There is a plan. And we're asking questions that in our field are relatively new and exciting. So in so many ways, it's just a win-win-win because it meets many goals for her. And it's never it's never an onerous meeting because there's yeah. always a plan and there's always a laugh. Like you can't go wrong. That's, that's incredible. And I'm so looking forward to seeing the work of Erin Berry and her really amazing team surrounding her as she moves this, this area forward yeah. in, in followership. It's, I agree with you. I think that this is going to be such an important area to explore further and to understand further in health professions education and in our academic environment. So yeah. thank you for sharing that. My pleasure, Ruth. And thank you so much for having me today. I can't tell you how exciting it is to have the opportunity to speak to your community. the uh, if, if I could do anything in this conversation today, I would love to encourage your listeners to go for it. You know, at the end of the day, what's the worst that can happen, right? Go for it. See what you can find out. It's fun. You know, I, I have to say, as you're talking, Laura, I thought back to your comment about us both enjoying Peloton. And, you know, one thing that I have picked up from in uh, the Peloton instructors is that they always at the start of a ride, and so I'm talking about the Peloton cycling, they always say, okay, this is the roadmap for the class today, you're going to be doing some hills, you're going to have a flat road, you're going to be doing some jogs, etc, etc. And so in my mind, I'm already mentally preparing, okay, stage one, two, three. And it occurred to me that as you're laying out the five tips for health professions education, very similar in terms of step. The, these five tips are like the roadmap for us as we're engaging in health professions education research. And I, I even realized that if we're feeling stuck in any way and at any stage in that research process, maybe it would be helpful to take a step back and look at what step or what of your five tips might we need to revisit or what might we need to consider again? For example, if it's that we're stuck with the questions, maybe we haven't asked ourselves in a while, what are we passionate about? Or what are we exploring that would mean something to us? Or you know, whether we need some additional team members to join me and the work that we're doing, et cetera. So what do you think about that? It just, it was just an analogy that came to mind. I think it's a great analogy, Ruth. And I think it's really also, uh, I hope these tips provide opportunities for, for your listeners to think about, um, you know, those times when you get stuck, because it all, you know, all projects get stuck sometimes or things don't go well, or something's not quite working the way we want. It offers an opportunity with these five tips to sort of, as you say, step back and ask them, you know, one of those, there's a reason tip number one is find something that means something to you. 
Because sometimes when you get stuck, you need to remind yourself, I'm doing this for a reason. I'm doing it because I care and I care because. And sometimes that's enough. The uh, the the part that makes me smile, Ruth, is that you're right on our, in our Peloton classes. And Lord knows I love me some of those spin classes. Um, I always look forward to the break. So maybe we could add tip number six. Upon occasion, take a break. Have a water break. Just decide you're going to take a breather for a minute and take a minute to reflect. So I, I love that. Yes, that's great. So we have the five tips and then we just open up our fingers a little bit when we're counting out the five and insert a little bit of that interstitial break time into yeah. the process. That. That's perfect. <laughs> Thank you very much for joining us, Laura, in our final episode of 2023 for the Good Pie subseries. And thank you for sharing your tips around health professions education research. Thanks, Ruth. Thank you for tuning in to the Mac PFD Spark podcast. This podcast is brought to you by the Office for Continuing Professional Development and the Program for Faculty Development at McMaster University's Faculty of Health Sciences. For more information on faculty development, be sure to check out our website at macpfd.ca. That's macpfd.ca. Here you can find other episodes as well as resources for your personal and professional development. A quick shout out to our sound engineer, Ishan Mania Panda, who has been an amazing asset to our team. Another shout out to Scott Holmes, who composed and supplied us with the music you've been listening to. That brings us to the end of this episode. We hope you've enjoyed it, and be sure to tune in for our future episodes.